Chapter 19 of Annals of a Quiet Neighborhood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeff Blanchard. Annals of a Quiet Neighborhood by George MacDonald. Chapter 19 The Invalid. The following day being very fine, I walked to Oldcastle Hall, but I remember well how much slow I was forced to walk than I was willing. I found, to my relief, that Mrs. Oldcastle had not yet returned. I was shown at once to Mr. Stoddart's library. There I found the two ladies in attendance upon him. He was seated by a splendid fire, for the autumn days were now chilly on the shady side. In the most luxurious of easy chairs, with his furred feet buried in the long hair of the hearth rug, he looked worn and peevish. All the placidity of his countenance had vanished. The smooth expanse of his forehead was drawn into fifty wrinkles, like a sea over which the fretting wind had been blowing all night. Nor was it only suffering that his face expressed. He looked like a man who strongly suspected that he was ill-used. After salutation. You are well off, Mr. Stoddard, I said, to have two such nurses. They are very kind, sighed the patient. You would recommend Mrs. Pearson and Mother Goose instead, would you not, Mr. Walton? said Judy, her grey eyes sparkled with fun. Judy, be quiet, said the invalid languidly, and yet sharply. Judy redeemed and was silent. I'm sorry for finding you so unwell, I said. Yes, I am very ill, he returned. Aunt and niece rose and left the room quietly. Do you suffer much, Mr. Stoddard? Much weariness worse than pain. I could welcome death. I do not think, from what Dr. Duncan says of you, that there is reason to apprehend more than a lingering illness. I said, to try him, I confess. I hope not indeed, he exclaimed angrily, sitting up in his chair. What right has Dr. Duncan to talk of me so? To a friend, you know, I returned, apologetically, who is much interested in your welfare. Yes, of course, so is the doctor. A sick man belongs to you both by prescription. For my part, I would rather talk about religion to a whole man rather than a sick man. A sick man is not a whole man. He is but part of a man, as it were, for the time, and it is not so easy to tell what he can take. Thank you. I am obliged to you for my new position in the social scale. Of the tailor species, I suppose. I could not help wishing he were as far up as any man that does such needful honest work. My dear sir, I beg your pardon. I meant only a glance at the peculiar relation of the words whole and heel. I do not find entomology interesting at present. Not seated in such a library as this? No, I am ill. Satisfied that ill as he was, he might be better if he would, I resolved to make another trial. Do you remember how Ligarius in Julius Caesar discards his sickness? I am not sick. If Brutus have in hand any exploit worthy the name of honour. I want to be well. I do not like to be ill. But what there is in this foggy, swampy world worth being well for, I'm sure I haven't found out yet. If you have not, it must be because you have never tried to find out. But I am not going to attack you when you are not able to defend yourself. We shall find a better time for that. But can't I do something for you? Would you like me to read to you for half an hour? No, thank you. The girls tire me out with reading to me. I hate the very sound of their voices. 
I have today's times in my pocket. I've heard all the news already. Then I think I shall only bore you if I stay. He made me no answer. I rose. He just let me take his hand and return my good morning as if there was nothing good in the world, least of all the same morning. I found the ladies in the outer room. Judy was on her knees, on the floor occupied with a long row of books. How the books had got there, I wondered, but soon learned that the secret, which I had in vain asked of the butler on my first visit, namely, how Mr. Stoddard reached the volumes arranged immediately under the ceiling, in shelves, as my reader may remember, that looked like beams radiating from the centre. For Judy rose from the floor and proceeded to put in motion a mechanical arrangement concealed in one of the divisions of the bookshelves along the wall, and I now saw that there were strong cords reaching from the ceiling, and attached to the shelves, or rather long box sideways open, which contained the books. "'Do take care, Judy,' said Ethelyn. "'You know it is very venturous of you to let that shelf down, when Uncle is so jealous of his books as a hen of her chickens. I oughtn't have let you touch the cords. You couldn't help it, Auntie dear, for I had the shelves halfway down before you saw me,' returned Judy, proceeding to rise the books to their usual position under the ceiling. But in another moment, either from Judy's awkwardness, or from the gradual decay and final fracture of some cord, down came the whole shelf with a thundering noise, and the books were scattered hither and thither in confusion about the floor. Ethelyn was gazing in dismay, and Judy had built up her face in a defiant look, when the door of the inner room opened and Mr. Stoddard appeared. His brow was already flushed, but when he saw the condition of his idols, for the lust of his eye, had its full share in his disregard for his books, he broke out in a passion to which he could not have given away but for the weak state of his health. "'How dare you!' he said, with terrible emphasis on the word dare. "'Judy, I beg you will not again show yourself in my apartment till I send for you.' "'And then,' said Judy, leaving the room, "'I am not in the least likely to be otherwise engaged.' "'I am very sorry, uncle,' begged Miss Oldcastle. But Mr. Stoddart had already retreated and banged the door behind him. So Miss Oldcastle and I were left standing together amid the ruins. She glanced at me with a distressed look. I smiled. She smiled in return. "'I assure you,' she said, "'uncle is not a bit like himself. And I fear in trying to rouse him, I have done him no good. Only made him more irritable,' I said." but he will be sorry when he comes to himself, and so we must take the reversion of his repentance now, and think nothing more of the matter than if he had already said he was sorry. Besides, when books are in the case, I, for one, must not be too hard upon my unfortunate neighbour. Thank you, Mr. Walton. I am so much obliged for you taking my uncle's part. He has been very good to me, and that dear Judy's provoking sometimes. I am afraid I helped to spoil her, but you would hardly believe how good she really is, and what a comfort she is to me with all her waywardness. I think I understand, Judy, I replied, and I shall be more mistaken than I am willing to confess I have ever been before, if she does not turn out a very fine woman. The marvel to me is that with all the various influences amongst which she is placed here, she is not really, not seriously, spoiled after all. I assure you, I have the greatest regard for, as well as confidence in, my friend Judy.
Ethelin, Miss Oldcastle, I should say, gave me such a pleased look that I was well recompensed, if justice should ever talk of recompense for my defence of her niece. Will you come with me, she said, for I fear our talk may continue to annoy Mr. Stoddard. His hearing is acute at all times, and has been excessively so since his illness. I am at your service, I returned, and followed her from the room. Are you still as fond of the old quarry as you used to be, Miss Oldcastle? I said, as we caught a glimpse of it from the window of a long passage we were going through. I think I am. I go there most days. I have not been today, though. Would you like to go down? Very much, I said. Ah, I forgot, though. You must not go. It is not a fit place for an invalid. I cannot call myself an invalid now. Your face, I am sorry to say, contradicts your words. And she looked so kindly at me that I almost broke out into thanks for the mere look. And indeed, she went on, it is too damp down there, not to speak of the stairs. By this time we had reached the little room in which I was received the first time I visited the hall. There we found Judy. If you are not too tired already, I should like to show you my little study. It has, I think, a better view than any other room in the house, said Miss Oldcastle. I shall be delighted, I replied. Come, Judy, said her aunt. You don't want me, I'm sure, Auntie. I do, Judy, really. You mustn't be cross to us because Uncle has been cross to you. Uncle is not well, you know, and isn't a bit like himself, and you know you should not have meddled with his machinery. And Miss Oldcastle put her arm round Judy and kissed her, whereupon Judy jumped from her seat, threw her book down, and ran to one of the several doors that opened from the room. This disclosed a little staircase, almost like a ladder, only that it wound about, up which we climbed, and reached a charming little room, whose window looked down upon the bishop's basin, glimmering slightly through the tops of the trees between. It was panelled in a small panel of dark oak, like the room below, but with more of carving. Consequently, it was sombre, and its sombreness was unrelieved by any mirror. I gazed about me with a kind of awe. I would gladly have carried away the remembrance of everything and its shadow. Just opposite the window was a small space of brightness formed from the backs of nicely bound books, seeing that these attracted my eye. Those are almost all gifts from my uncle, said Miss Oldcastle. He is really very kind, and you will not think of him as you have seen him today. Indeed I will not, I replied. My eye fell upon a small pianoforte. Do sit down, said Miss Oldcastle. You have been very ill, and I could do nothing for you who have been so kind to me. She spoke as if we had wanted to say this. I only wish I had a chance of doing anything for you, I said, as I took a chair in the window. But if I had done all I ever could hope to do, you have repaid me long ago, I think. How? I do not know what you mean, Mr. Walton. I have never done you the least service. Tell me first, did you play the organ in the church that afternoon, when, after before I was taken ill, I mean the same day you had a friend with you in the pew in the morning? I dare say my voice was as irregular as my construction. I ventured just one glance. Her face was flushed, but she answered me at once. I did. Then I am in your debt, more than you know or I can tell you. Why? 
if that is all i have played the organ every sunday since uncle was taken ill she said smiling i know that now and i am very glad i did not know it till i was better able to bear the disappointment but it is only for what i heard that i mean now to acknowledge my obligation tell me miss oldcastle what is the most precious gift one person can give another she hesitated and i fearing to embarrass her answered for her it must be something imperishable something which in its own nature is if instead of a gem or even of a flower we could cast the gift of a loving thought into the heart of a friend that would be giving as the angels i suppose must give but you did more and better for me than that i had been troubled all the morning and you made me know that my redeemer liveth i did not know you were playing mind though i felt a difference you gave me more trust in god and what other gift so great could one give i think that last impression just as i was taken ill must have helped me through my illness often when i was most oppressed i know that my redeemer liveth would rise up in the troubled air of my mind and sung by a voice which though i never heard you sing i never questioned to be yours she turned her face towards me those sea-blue eyes were full of tears i was troubled myself she said with a flattering voice when i sang i mean played that i am so glad it did somebody good i fear it did not do me much i will sing it to you now if you like and she rose to get the music but that instant judy who i then found had left the room bounded into it with the exclamation auntie auntie here's granny miss oldcastle turned pale i confess i felt embarrassed as if i had been caught in something underhand is she come in asked miss oldcastle trying to speak with indifference she's just at the door must be getting out of the fly now what shall we do what do you mean judy said her aunt well you know auntie as well as i do that granny will look as black as thundercloud to find mr walton here and if she doesn't speak as loud it will only be because she can't i don't care for myself but you know on whose head the storm will fall do dear mr walton come down the back stair then she won't be a bit the wiser i'll manage it all here was a dilemma for me either to bring suffering on her to save whom i would have borne any pain or to creep out of the house as if i were and ought to be ashamed of myself i believe that had i been in any other relation to my fellows i would have resolved at once to lay myself open to the peculiarly unpleasant reproach of sneaking out of the house rather than that she should innocently suffer for my being innocently there but i was a clergyman and i felt more than i had ever before that therefore i could not risk ever the appearance of what was mean miss oldcastle however did not leave it to me to settle the matter all that i had just written had but flashed through my mind when she said judy for shame to propose such a thing to mr walton i am very sorry that he may chance to have any unpleasant meeting with mamma but we can't help it come judy we will show mr walton out together it wasn't for mr walton's sake returned judy pouting you are very troublesome auntie dear mr walton she is so hard to take care of and she's worse since you came 
I shall have to give her up some day. Do be generous, Mr. Walton, and take my side, that is, auntie's. I am afraid, Judy, I must thank your aunt for taking the part of my duty against my inclination. But this kindness, at least, I said to Miss Oldcastle, I can never hope to return. It was a stupid speech, but I could not be annoyed that I had made it. All obligations are not burdens to be got rid of, are they? She replied with a sweet smile on such a pale, troubled face, that I was more moved for her, deliberately handing her over to the torture for the truth's sake, than I care definitely to confess. Thereupon Miss Oldcastle led the way down the stairs. I followed, and Judy brought up the rear. The affair was not so bad as it might have been, inasmuch as, meeting the mistress of the house, in no penetralia of the same, I insisted on going out alone, and met Mrs. Oldcastle in the hall only. She held out no hand to greet me. I bowed, and said I was sorry to find Mr. Stoddard so far from well. I fear he is far from well, she returned, certainly in my opinion too ill to receive visitors. So saying, she bowed and passed on. I turned and walked out, not ill-pleased, as my readers will believe, with my visit. From that day I recovered rapidly, and the next Sunday had the pleasure of preaching to my flock. Mr. Aitken, the gentleman already mentioned as doing duty for me, reading prayers, I took for my subject one of our Lord's miracles of healing. I forget which now, and try to show my people that all healing and all kind of healing comes as certainly and only from his hand as though instance in which he put forth his bodily hand and touched the diseased and told them to be whole and as they left the church the organ played comfort ye comfort ye my people saith your god i tried hard to prevent my new feelings from so filling my mind as to make me fail of my duty towards my flock. I said to myself, let me be the more gentle, the more honourable, the more tender towards these my brothers and sisters, for as much as they are here brothers and sisters too, I wanted to do my work the better that I loved her. Thus week after week passed, with little that I can remember worthy of record. I seldom saw Miss Oldcastle, and during this period never alone. True, she played the organ still, for Mr. Stoddart continued too unwell to resume his ministry of sound, but I never made any attempt to see her as she came to or from the organ loft. I felt that I ought not, or at least that it was better not, lest an interview should trouble my mind, and so interfere with my work, which, in my calling meant anything real, was a consideration of vital import. But one thing I could not help noting, that she seemed, by some intuition, to know the music I liked best, and great help she often gave me by so uplifting my heart upon the billows of the organ harmony, that my thinking became free and harmonious, and I spoke, as far as my own feelings was concerned, like one upheld on the unseen wings of a ministering cherubim, how it might be to those who heard me, or what the value of the utterance in itself might be, I cannot tell. I only speak of my own feelings, I say. 
does my reader wonder why I did not yet make any further attempt to gain favour in the lady's eyes? He will see, if he will think for a moment. First of all, I could not venture until she had seen more of me, and how to enjoy more of her socially, while her mother was so unfriendly, both from instinctive dislike to me, and because of the offence I had given her more than once. I did not know, for I feared that to call oftener might only occasion measures upon her part to prevent me from seeing her daughter at all, and I could not tell how fast such measures might expedite the event I most dreaded, or add to the discomfort to which Miss Oldcastle was already so much exposed. Meantime I heard nothing of Captain Everett, and the comfort that flowed from such a negative source was yet of a very positive character. At the same time, will my reader understand me? I was in some measure deterred from making further advances by the doubt whether her favour for Captain Everett might not be greater than Judy had represented it, for I had always shrunk, I can hardly say with invincible dislike, for I had never tried to conquer it from rivalry of every kind. It was, somehow, contrary to my nature. Besides, Miss Oldcastle was likely to be rich some day, apparently had money of her own, even now. And was it a weakness? Was it not a weakness? I cannot tell. I writhed at the thought of being supposed to marry for money, and being made the object of such remarks as, Ah, you see, that's the way with the clergy. They talk about poverty and faith, pretending to despise riches and to trust in God, but just put money in their way, and what chance will a poor girl have besides a rich one? It's all very well in the pulpit. It's their business to talk so. But does one of them believe what he says? Or, at least, act upon it? I think I may be a little excused for the sense of creeping cold that passed over me at the thought of such remarks as these, accompanied by compressed lips and down-drawn corners of the mouth, and reiterated nods of the head of knowingness. But I mention this only as a repressing influence to which I certainly should not have been such a fool as to yield, had I seen the way otherwise clear. For a man, by showing how to use money, or rather simply by using money all right, may do more good than by refusing to possess it, if it comes to him in an entirely honourable way, that is, in such cases as mine, merely as an accident of his history. But I was glad to feel pretty sure that if I should be so blessed as to marry Miss Oldcastle, which at the time whereof I now write, seemed far too gorgeous a castle in the clouds ever to descend to earth for me to enter it, the poor of my own people would be these most likely to understand my position and feelings, and least likely to impute to me worldly motives, as paltry as they are vulgar and altogether unworthy of a true man. So the time went on. I called once or twice on Mr. Stoddard, and found him, as I thought, better, but he would not allow that he was. Dr. Duncan said he was better, and would be better still, if he would only believe it and exert himself. He continued in the same strangely irritable humour. End of chapter 19